Good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning, we're going to be reading from Psalm 142, a masculine of David when he was in the cave, a prayer. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Matt. Good morning. It's great to see all of you. Um, you might notice that I don't look anything like Tim. Um, Tim is out in Boron, the, the guys, uh, his two friends, Kyle and, and Sherwin, uh, at Palmdale and, and Boron. Um, Kyle was doing something, so he asked Sherman to preach at his church, and then Sherman said, hey, can you preach in Boron? And Tim turned to me and said, you're up. So <laughs> it's like it was little games with the sliding cards, whatever. Um, just before uh, the service started, uh, Heather came to me to uh, let me know, I'd tell you rather than pray through it and let you all hear it. Uh, her father, uh, Bill Glenn, um, yesterday had two heart attacks um, and um, ended up with a 97% blockage in a, a main uh, artery. So um, she's asking for prayer for him. He's still in the hospital. And, um, and we'll pray for him. So if we can start with a word of prayer, and, uh, and let's dig into it. Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to lift up our voices to you in praise, to glorify you. Uh, we thank you, and you are magnificent. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to gather here. Uh, thank you for the technology that allows us to, uh, to have people watch uh, on Zoom. We come to you now and uh, we, we pray for Bill Glenn, uh, that uh, your servant, your child, that uh, you would be gracious to him uh, and uh, give him recovery, give him healing, um, and, uh, and attend to him and comfort him uh, for a, a, a quick recovery. Pray for our sister Joanne. Uh, she has surgery scheduled for Tuesday, and we are praying that uh, you give her peace and comfort now, and that the surgery is successful, and, uh, and she can be on the road to recovery. And we pray for our uh, dear Pastor Tim, um, as he is preaching out in Boron, that you will uh, fill him with your spirit and that uh, your word would go to them uh, in a meaningful way. Thank you for our time right now in your word uh, here in Psalms. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. 
So we're looking at Psalm 142, and a little bit later we'll look at Psalm 57. But one of the things that struck me here in reading these two psalms is uh, David, the future king of Israel, is scared. He's scared for his life. David knows God's promised him that he's going to be king. Samuel the prophet had come out, had anointed him. Um, David had gone out to the camp to bring his brother's food and ended up killing Goliath, uh, the giant uh, Philistine who was their champion. David became famous throughout Israel in song for he who has killed ten thousands of Philippine, Philistine enemies. He was placed in the court of the king, um, King Saul. He was married to the daughter of King Saul and his best, closest and dearest friend was Jonathan, Saul's son. But right now he was scared. Right now he's a lonely man hiding in a cave and that very same King Saul who was, was trying to kill him. Uh, Saul had thrown spears at him. Um, David, he had plotted to kill David. So not only was Saul after David, um, it seemed the entire nation was as well. Uh, Calah, a city that David saved from attacking Philistines, told Saul where he was. Uh, the uh, the Zaph Ziphites uh, ratted out David twice. Um, not only was King Saul against David, but the nation was as well. And to top it off, the Philistines weren't thinking that kindly of him either. So since, um, since Tim's in Boron today, I thought we could look a little deeper at the man David. In Samuel, which uh, Tim has been going through, we see the man and we see his actions. We see this narrative of uh, David, uh, the, his life uh, and leading up to his rule. But I'd like to take some time today to look at the heart and the mind of the man who is the apple of God's eye. First and second Samuel tell the story. The Psalms that were written by David show us his heart, specifically his heart towards God. What his heart is going through when he's in trouble. So I'm going to look at Psalm, uh, we're going to look at Psalm 142, which is, which is a very short Psalm, and then also Psalm 57. There's no evidence that the numbering of the Psalms um, has anything to do with their chronological order. Um, if you're ever playing Bible trivia, Psalm 44 is written by Solomon, um, David's son. And uh, Psalm 90 is attributed to Moses, just a little tiny bit of time before David. So, uh, so there's, no, there's no chronological, so I feel comfortable doing Psalm 142 before we do Psalm 57, I'll, to say all that. So the heading of this psalm is, You are my refuge. A maskil of David when he was in the cave, a prayer. So maskil means, uh, uh, can be translated as instruction. Um, when he was in the cave, this cave was probably the cave in uh, Adelon, uh, which was mentioned in uh, 1 Samuel uh, 22. Uh, it could be the cave at En Gedi, but I, I think the the evidence kind of points more towards uh, uh, Adeline Cave. 
Um, it's a prayer. He says this is a prayer. Uh, we see by the heading it's more than just wishful thinking. It's more than just crying out and saying, oh, man, I, I hope things get better. Um, everything written here is directed to God. And when we learn, when we listen to this mass skill, this instruction, uh, we listen in to a man's heart towards God in his prayer. We're, we're eavesdropping on David's prayers to God. David cries out to the Lord. He pleads for mercy from the Lord. And we see two notes running side by side throughout this entire song. Uh, the first is this terrible sense of helplessness and hopelessness. And, and the other is that David is turning to God alone to rescue him from that hopelessness. Um, verse uh, 2 says, I pour out my complaint before him. We get down into this meat of the, uh, of the prayer. It says, I pour out my complaint. I tell my trouble before him. So it brings up the question, should we complain to God? Do we have the right to complain to God? Do we have the opportunity to complain to God? Look what he says in just the first two verses. I cry out, I plead, I pour out my complaint, I tell my trouble. One of the commentators said the complaint isn't to tell God something he doesn't know. It's for our relief. There's the idea that God, God already knows. How often do we pray that? God, you know. How often is it for our relief to be able to tell him what's on our heart? Um, and, and I encourage you, I think, in a little bit, don't hold back anything. But show God everything that's in your heart. Go ahead and complain. Sometimes we have this crazy idea that the best thing to do is to not to be honest with God who knows everything. You know, well, if I don't tell him, then maybe he won't get upset. <laughs> he won't get mad at me for complaining. If he knows everything and he wants to hear from you, complain. Cry out. Tell him your trouble. Um, the Apostle Paul in uh, Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't be anxious about anything, but go to God in prayer. One of the easiest ways to, to lift some of that burden is to air that complaint to God. Let him know what's upsetting you, what you're afraid of, even if it's him. So verse 3 and 4 are the complaint. He says that there's no one there to help him. No one cares what happens to him. And he's out of strength to go on fighting. He's confused, he's afraid, and his enemies have set traps all around him. He says, they've hidden a trap for me. He didn't know where the traps were, that's why he said they're hidden, but he knew that they were out there. Uh, we have traps, we have snares that are set by our enemies, um, and David could literally, in this case, be trapped 
and then killed by King Saul. He, he's running from cave to cave, fearing for his life. Um, in verse 4 he says, uh, Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains for me. No one cares for my soul. That's his complaint. No one cares for my soul. I think verse 4 just shows us how alone and how low and how frightened David is. The thing is, I think we all have that moment. We all feel alone. We all feel no one cares about our soul. Um, I, I know we all do it as, as probably teenagers. No one cares for me. Nobody loves me. But David's feeling that no one cares for his soul. Um, he's trapped. He's in danger. No one cares. And no one is coming to help him. What a hopeless situation he's in. This is really bad. I should stop right now and make this a two-parter. And then you'll all be, run back next week. But if David's truly all alone and no one cares for his soul, then why is he crying out to the Lord? Why is he saying, no one cares for me? Why is he crying out to the Lord? The truth is, David isn't alone. The Lord God's with him and cares very much for his soul. He's his complaint is, no one else cares for my soul. I have no one else. He says, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. So he knows, he knows the Lord is his refuge. Um, he, he cries out in, to the Lord in verse 1 and again in verse 5. He says he has no refuge in verse 4. And in verse 5, he states the Lord is his refuge. So we, we see how his complaint builds, but then how his complaint turns into turning to God and trusting in God. Uh, if we step back a little bit, we see the way David prays. In verses 1 through 4 are a plea for rescue and for refuge, for salvation. Verses 5 through 7 declares the Lord God is the answer to that and every plea. If we break it apart a little bit, uh, he says uh, in verses uh, 6 and 7, Attend to my cry, deliver me from my persecutors, bring me out of prison. But then he, he, he gives his reasons for those pleas. He says, I'm brought very low. Attend to my cry, I'm brought very low. Uh, they are too strong for me. Deliver me from my persecutors because they're too strong for me. Bring me out of my prison that I may give thanks to your name. Why does he want to be released from the spirit? Why does he want his persecutors to be taken care of? Why does he want to survive? So I can give thanks to your name. Attend my cry because I'm low, I'm afraid, I'm depressed, and I'm all alone. Deliver me from my persecutors because they're too strong for me to defeat in my own strength. Bring me out of prison, likely the cave that he's in, so David can give thanks to the Lord. 
David wants to glorify the Lord for his rescue of David. Is David bribing God to save him? If you save me, I'll give you thanks. Uh, I'll give you credit. No. He's showing God his desire to praise God out of love for him and his trust that God will save him. There's a confidence in that prayer. There's a confidence saying, when you save me, I will praise your name and I will thank you. One of the things I think we can see is David's honest in his complaint. When we come before the Lord God, we shouldn't be hiding anything in our fear. We shouldn't be afraid to come to God with our complaint. We shouldn't be hiding our anger, even at God. Are you angry at God? Do you think that might affect how you pray a little bit? Tell him. Tell him you're angry. Tell him why you're angry. But we also need to be ready and willing to give God thanks for his works. When we bring our complaint, we need to address that this is a chance for us to praise God, to give glory to God. Um, I, I've used it like in every sermon since I did it a long time ago in Psalms. Glory to God is currency in heaven. And, and we should be paying that out. We should be giving God glory. The tone changes tremendously and he says, the righteousness will surround me. The righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me, with me. So there's this idea of the righteous will surround me. David's not looking for a support group. He doesn't say, gather all the friendly people around me. It's not to support David. It's all the faithful saints joining David in giving thanks and glory to God for his answer to David's prayer. And you know what's awesome? Is we get to be that righteous who surrounds David and gives God thanks for answering David's prayer. That's still valid. That's still good. That is still a way to praise God. This is timeless. This wasn't, you know, had to go find, you know, the elders to come and talk to him. It, it's, it's eternal. We can always be praising God for his work, no matter when his work happened in our, in our timeline. Um, do we end our prayers? Do we end our complaints to God by giving thanks to God for his answers even when we haven't seen them yet? It's easy for us to look at David's life and give thanks to God for David's life. David is writing this and giving thanks to God while hiding in a cave from the king of Israel who's trying to kill him. He hasn't seen that end yet. We haven't, he hasn't seen God do this work yet. Are we that confident in the perfect will of God to do that? Are we confident enough when we pray to God to thank him for something that, from our perspective, hasn't happened yet? That takes courage. That takes faith. 
So that's uh, um, chapter 142. Um, if you turn in your Bibles to chapter 57, or, oh, it's already up there. Wow. You are on this, Ashley. It's so awesome. Glad I got to work with you today. So Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Salah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lay down amid fiery beasts, the children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Salah. My heart is steadfast. O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. A little bit longer, but but uh, still in the same um, vein. Title of this psalm is To the Chief Musician, set to Do Not Destroy. Amichtim Mechtam, thank you, of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. So uh, a Mechtam means, um, it's uncertain. We, we're not sure what that means. Uh, does that mean it's a... a particular poem or particular style we don't know but the cave mentioned here is probably the same cage as in one cave that's in 142 so these were were written about the same instance the same moments in David's life so uh, do not destroy kind of interesting that that's thrown in there uh, that may be a tune indication. Uh, Do Not Destroy might be a song or a melody, um, and it was borrowed to indicate how this song is uh, sung. Um, because it's written in a common meter uh, back in the 1970s, my youth group, yes, I'm that old, um, we would sing Amazing Grace to the tune of House of the Rising Sun by the animals. Um, we thought we were really edgy and cool. Um, interestingly, the lyrics can also be sung to the Gilligan's Island theme song or Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix. So uh, uh, there, there's a couple others out there, but I thought those were the, the two fun ones. And, and I can just kind of see who's, who's doing it in their head because their head's bobbing back and forth a little bit. <laughs> Um, 
So uh, do not destroy, uh, there's four of these do not destroy psalms. That's why we think it's probably, you know, set to the tune of a, a song uh, called Do Not Destroy. Um, the 57, um, so 57, the 58th and the 59th, and then the 75th psalm all have uh, this do not destroy instruction. Interesting, in all of them, there's a distinct declaration of the destruction of the wicked and preservation of the righteous. So it's interesting, he sets it to do not destroy, but says the, the text itself, the lyrics say to destroy the wicked and preserve the righteous. But also in uh, 1 Samuel 26, we're not there yet, uh, David's instructions about Saul is destroy him not. So that was just an interesting little sidelight. So he starts the, the text, the body of this psalm, with be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. The need is so great that David repeats his request. He's in the same cage, the one from uh, 1 Samuel 22. He's alone, he's discouraged, and he's in constant danger. Uh, he says, for, my, for in you my soul takes refuge. Um, he tells God he's David's only hope, and we saw that in, uh, in 142. And there's no one else to put trust in. God wasn't David's last resort when all else failed. I think it's easy to take that view when we look at these Psalms that, you know what, nothing else worked, I might as well turn to God. Um, do we realize that? Do we realize that we, we sometimes look at God as our last resort, our last hope? Um, can we change our thinking that God is our first hope? God is our only hope. That's where we turn to first. We don't need to struggle along in our own best effort and then when that fails, when that falls apart, and when, when the people around us don't rescue us, we go, well, God, I've got no one else to turn to, so I might as well turn to you. Let's work on changing that mindset. We go to God, we go, I'm going to you first because you're my hope. You're my great hope, my only hope. And really my hope, not my my backup. He says, in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge. It's a familiar um, image David uses, um, talking about uh, trust and hope in God's defense. When, when we talk about in the shadow of your wings, uh, usually it's, you know, a mother um, bird or um, shielding her young chicks uh, from predators, from the elements, from dangers. Um, by gathering them all under her wings. So two things, chicks are helpless. Little baby birds are helpless. Many of them can't even fly yet. Someone else has to chew their food. That's how helpless they are. But also under a wing, you're not in 
that's not an attack position. That's, that's not a strategically favorable place to, to, uh, to be fighting. You're being protected. You're being enclosed. And you're relying. Those baby chicks are relying on those wings. They're trusting in the wings of their mother to protect them. The wings of their mother are not their last hope. It's their only hope. We don't, we don't go, well, you know, I can, I'll, I'll fight my way out of this. You're defenseless. You can't even chew your own food. You can't fly. You're protected by these wings. Um, figure of speech is used in other psalms, but Jesus uses the same word picture to show his love for Jerusalem. He, that, that protecting under the wing. Um, and he says, I will take refuge. Uh, we shouldn't focus so much on what David exactly meant by the wings that we miss the greater fact that God was his refuge. Notice he doesn't call the cave his refuge. You know, cave's a pretty good refuge. You know, it's built out of rock, all that. But um, he doesn't call the cave his refuge. He calls God his refuge. Um, and he says, God most high. The Lord God's all-powerful, all-knowing, infinite in all of his attributes. So not only does David understand and declare God's might, he also declares his own place. One that's below God and is being covered by God. God David knows he is the weaker, lesser person in the plea. David knows he's the little bird. He's the little chick that's being covered. Do we understand that? Do we acknowledge that when we pray to God? That who we are in relation to God, I think that goes back to God is our first hope. Um, and he says, God who fulfills his purpose for me. God who's most high, who's also intimately involved in our lives. God, most high, the great, eternal, infinite God is intimately involved in our lives. And sometimes we can look at like David and go, well, he's David, you know, throne of David and the Messiah is going to come through him. David's special. So are you. So are you. You can, you can pray this prayer. You can be like David here. He will send from heaven and save me. Um, to say God has a purpose for you may not be the most poetic thing to say. Um, um, those little snake tools that plumber uses to clean out your line, I mean, that's got a purpose. That's a tool. That's uh, useful. Um, but David knows God has a purpose for him. And God will send his army from heaven, if need be, to save him. Because God will be the one who's victorious over David's enemies. This isn't because David is cunning. This isn't because he's powerful or he has a strong army. It is God who's going to be victorious. And God cares enough about David and about you right now to send from heaven to save us. 
And what comes from heaven? Everything. Because God's there. Uh, Meyer says, it's a marvelous thing to consider God is literally willing to perform all things in us and for us if only we let him. The mischief is that most of us insist on performing all things in the energy of our own resolve and in the strength of our own power. Again, we, we try and try and try, and then when we, it all falls apart, then we call in God. He says, um, uh, we come to an unusual uh, place in this uh, passage where there's this salah. Salahs are usually considered to be a pause or um, um, a rest, an interlude, maybe a guitar solo. I don't know. Uh, but it's kind of in a weird place. Um, but so the Salah, it says, he will save me. And then it's punctuated by this pause. And then the next line is, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. God will save me. God will send out a steadfast love. It's almost like it could be a refrain to bring us back to the central person here. We've talked about David. We've talked about his complaint. We've talked about his fear. But he gets this little salah to draw us back, to focus us on God, on his character, on his steadfast love, and on his faithfulness. He's giving his plan. He goes, hang on. Remember who we're talking about, and goes back. He says, my soul's in the midst of lions. Uh, Peter thought that the enemy of our soul was something like a lion. Uh, in 1 Peter 5.8, he says, be sober, be vigilant because, vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That sounds scary. I don't know about you, but lions prowling around. Sounds scary. Spurgeon says, if you are among lions, remember God has them on a leash. I love that. <laughs> Satan's this lion prowling around, and God put a leash on him. Maybe with that little bell that tinkles like you do on your cat. <laughs> be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Notice what he does in his prayer. He surrounds his enemies with the glory of God. You have enemies, and you can pray and surround them with the glory of God. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness before the lions and the fiery beasts and the tongues that are sharp as swords. And then he follows with, Be exalted, O God, among the heavens. Let your glory be over all the world over all the earth. That's a powerful leash on a lion. Surround your enemies with the glory of God. Have you thought of that? I didn't think of that until I read this, I studied for this passage. One of our most effective tools against the enemy is surround them with the glory of God. In verse 6, we see a trap set for David, but the pit prepared um, is instead trapping the ones who dug it. Um... From, from his circumstances being in this cave, uh, we can kind of sense that David may have said this with anticipation of faith. It hasn't happened yet. 
There's still a trap out there. There's still a pit out there. There's still a net out there. But he knows that God is going to be faithful, and he knew God would attend to it. God would keep that lion on a leash. There's another Salah here uh, before verse 7. This one's probably a little more appropriate because this one precedes the end of the prayer. And this end of this prayer literally erupts in praise and glory to God. Verse 7, my heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. If you remember, the psalm begins with David twice appealing for mercy. Now, God, now David twice expressed his steadfast confidence in God. He twice said, mercy, mercy. And twice he says, my heart is steadfast on you, God. Um, verse 8. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. What a great verse. Have that instead of your alarm clock going. Because you, you, you can change this on your phone. You can change what it says. Make that your, your alarm clock in the morning. My glory, the glory I lift up to, to God. Fire up that harp and lyre. Turn the amps up to 11. When I read this, I just imagined David standing in the mouth of the cave, shouting to wake the dawn to give glory to God. He ran out and he's shouting at the dawn to give glory to God. We need to be that excited. Oh, to be that excited that you're waiting for the dawn to show up to praise God, to give God glory. He says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises to you among the nations. So these words are... are almost the, the near equivalent. Everybody usually attributes it to Psalm 18, verse 49. Um, appear in Romans 15, 8, Romans 15, 9, excuse me. Um, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. In Romans, Paul is writing of a prophecy fulfilled to sing among the Gentiles. Here, David is making that proclamation that he will thanks give thanks to the lord among the nations i will sing to the nations uh, as we've learned in in our uh, bible study uh, going through the minor prophets when it says the nation it's israel when it's the nations it's the gentiles um, he shows one way to give thanks to go to the lord tell everyone it's easy just tell everybody be that guy or girl that is always praising God. You declare who he is to everyone you meet. For you yourself, these actions keep God's goodness and your thankfulness awake in your heart. We're talking in Sunday school about the rapture. And, you know, why do we, why do we have this expectancy? Why does Paul teach us this expectancy in the rapture? To keep it in our heart, to keep it in our minds that the Lord is coming soon. He is going to keep his promise to us that we will spend eternity with him. 
Um, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Steadfastness and faithfulness, which David proclaimed in verse 3, shows up in verse 10. Um, one commentator wrote, A hard and ungrateful heart beholds even in prosperity only isolated drops of divine grace. Even your best pride, you go, God's grace is being without a little eyedropper. A heart like David's sees it filling the heavens. He sees it overflowing from the heavens. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. It's a repeat of verse 5, but with a huge difference. Verse 5 is a praise lifted up to God as a battle flag over his enemies. Here it's a song of praise lifted to God in love. We can use it for both. We can exalt God, and that's going to be a battle flag before our enemies. But it's also a proclamation uh, of praise um, to God in love. It's important to remember that David's circumstances were not much better when he sang this song. When he is singing this last part, things didn't get better between verses 6 and verses 7. He still, he was delivered from the immediate danger at Gath, but the cave is a long way from the throne of Israel. He is a long way away from that promise. But David didn't wait for his circumstances to change before he praised God in heaven. Do we wait? Do we hold back our praise until we see that God did something we like? That it turned out the way we wanted instead of the way that brings God glory? That's hard to do. But as we grow in our love for God and we appreciate him more and, and our, our communion with him are, is deeper, we can trust him that whatever happens is in his will for his glory and that is what's best. And he ends with, let your glory be above all the earth. There is a sense of David's freedom. He's sitting in a cave, but his soul is glorifying God above all the earth. What a tremendous, from, the, from a dark cave, he's saying God's glory covers the entire earth. How we face adversity, how we face troubles, reveal how we view God. How we pray to God, how we talk to God, reveals how we view God. Are we able to praise and glorify God in the midst of our troubles? Or do we withhold it until we see the outcome that we expect? That's my charge to you, is, is grow in your prayer, and I, I hope you're already there. I hope you, read, you heard what I said and go, oh, I've been doing that all my life. And Dan's the slow one. He hadn't figured it out yet. That, that we can praise God, we can glorify God in the midst of our trouble. And don't wait and judge God if his answer is adequate to our expectations but one that glorifies him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your, your son, your child, David, that uh, 
uh, he, he loves you so much and he's such a great example for us that we look to him and, and can see how we can love you. We can love you that deeply, that wonderfully, that complexly. Give us that, uh, that grace, that hope, and that love this week. In Jesus' name, amen.